Hello and good afternoon. How are you doing? I'm great, thank you. How are you? Very, very, very well, because I get to talk to a seed expert. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, my my whole entire radio career has been based on, I I talk so much about planting seeds and that you've got to become that seed and provide that seed. And so so to, to see a book like this, Jennifer, that says what we sow is so really in line with how we as human beings need to start respecting a lot more seeds, including ourselves. Amen to that. Man, how did you even get wrapped up into this journey? Are you a farmer? I am not a farmer. I am, in fact, a home gardener. And mm, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, I would have said I am just a gardener. But nowadays, (laughs) I say very, very proudly, I am a gardener with a capital G. And that is a very powerful thing to be in this world with the capacity to grow and change and direct our world environmentally, economically, socially, and certainly for our own health and well-being. I got to tell you, Jennifer, uh, as of late for the past couple of years, uh, and and now especially, uh, I'm in fear of the seed because we're going to have to replenish this planet. This planet is in big danger right now, and it's going to require the seeds to put these things back in order again, to bring nations back together, to feed nations, to do things. And I'm wondering if that's not going to cause a shortage somewhere. Well, here... Here's my thinking on that. One is, yes, it could. And this is partly why I, for one, am paying very close attention. And I wrote this book to encourage and catalyze other people to pay attention, just as you said right off the beginning. Um, But I also know that in my heart of hearts, I look around me, whether I'm in New York or California or Colorado or Wisconsin or Michigan, and I see the native plants that are still in place and their abundant generosity with their seed for food, for the next generation. And I trust that we still have the full capacity to take better care and to turn things around. I'm so glad that you said the native plants because in 1997, when we replaced this forest in South Charlotte, North Carolina, I went mm-hmm. I went to the state and I said, I have to have only North Carolina trees. And, and it has to be that way because I need the owls back. I need my deer back. I need all yeah. of everything that was Carolina before you decided to come in here and put up houses. Yeah. And, and, you know, this is true the world over. I think that more and more we as whether we call ourselves gardeners or we are cultivators of some other kind, uh, we, we are hearing the message of the importance of replenishing our native plants and their vi- biodiversity wherever we are so that we can reintegrate ourselves into the natural world, but also so that we can help reweave the the natural world back together where we have torn it apart and uh, we can do that with our gardens we know that something like 60 percent of the u.s is held in private hands Mm -hmm. whether that's residences that is you know corporate front parks and and landscape strips whether it's churches or schools government buildings uh, not government buildings but Uh, private schools or you know other privately held land and so if we are experiencing such extreme habitat loss and fragmentation and decline in biodiversity all of those spaces can be little pocket antidotes to to that very disintegration 
by replanting native plants of our exact places, just as you cited, you have done there in North Carolina. And we do that with the native seed and plants of our exact places. Absolutely. I talked on my iHeartRadio show this morning about how I feel like I'm ripping off Mother Nature in the way that I'm bringing my plants from outside inside because even though they are going to come back up if I were to let them pass away outside but are going to the transition stage of resting until spring I just don't want them to go away do you think that I'm ripping off mother nature by bringing my elephant ears and all of those plants inside no no I don't because for one thing your elephant ears probably didn't naturally co-evolve there in North Carolina (laughs) right and so what you are doing is you are taking the lessons of mother nature about how her plants have grown where they have grown and you are using that to the best advantage for you and that plant Uh, I think you know those are the lessons we need to follow and if that means we bring our elephant ears outside and we don't cut our rude Beckia or our other native plants outside back so that the native flora and fauna can own cycle. That's us learning from Mother Nature, not yeah. not ripping her off. I've I've hosted many conversations with people who've got podcasts about the power of sugar and how globally political that is. So I have to ask you, will seeds do the same thing or are they the same power where people, you know, they come in, they grab as many seeds as uh, as possible and then they turn it into a political gain or or you know, you basically we'll give you this, but you're going to have to give us something back. Interesting. I, you know, I think we see the both sides of that coin in the seed world right now. We see, you know, the very top corporate pharmaceutical petrochemical consolidation in our commodity and largest seed supply chains uh, in a way that is, I think, ugly and detrimental to to our world and to us as people. But then you see, uh, and as one of the seed keepers that I profile in the book, What We Sow, uh, said to me, you know, the larger the mainstream, the larger the room for the undercurrent. Mm. So I think we see opposite to that, you know, consolidation and profit only mindset we see so many land-based and culturally oriented people on the ground saving seed sharing seed knowledge sharing seed and and caring for it with all respect Growing up in the state of Montana, one of the things that we had up there in Montana was a lot of corn. And my father used to tell me they're going to make fuel out of that corn one day. And I, I just didn't believe him. And so now that we've got ethanol, there, there's like a corn shortage. I feel the same way. As we gain access to more plant-based foods, it's like, oh, my God, are we going to go the route of the corn? Uh, and the answer to that, I think, is the, the, the in the pudding, as they say, yes and no. Okay. So, uh, yes, all, uh, you know, there is some terrible statistic that I share in the book that 100% of the non-organic corn on being grown in North America today is GMO and is probably laced with um, neonicotinoids or other something like Roundup Ready, you know, chemicals that deter pests, quote unquote pests or, um, you know, fungus or whatever. 
100% of it. And something like 65% of all non-organic corn traits are owned by one to four large multinational corporations along the lines of Bear Monsanto. Okay, mm. so that said, we also come from North America, uh, and the continent has some of the greatest biodiversity of corn, along with Central and South America, um, in on the planet. We are the biodiversity hotspot for corn species and varieties, and these are held like ancestors and family members to the indigenous peoples of these regions, and so they are fighting fiercely to protect the genetic biodiversity and the cultural significance of this corn. And so you're going to see the same thing playing out with soy, with rice, with wheat across the globe, because these are staple food products that have been targeted by these same, you know, multinational global corporations for their profit. Um, But they are also being fiercely protected as the sacred cultural foods of these places that have fed those peoples for millennia yeah i've got a friend who lives in central carolina and and they pay him so they can plant their soy and and it's like i go really brad do you really doing that yeah yeah they want to use the land i'm not using it it's just a bunch of weeds until they come along Mm. and what do you to your friend uh, after that well it, it, it's one of those things where i'm going you know because i mean it's the same thing with with corn you know they they you know they they pay the farmers grow the corn and don't grow the corn grow the sugar beets don't grow the sugar beets i mean it, right. it, it's it's that's the political side of the business that 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 is. you know it, it, it just scares me sometimes it's like oh my god they're controlling everything that we're growing i mean this is one of the great heartbreaks and uh great infuriators of our time is the control that these uh large corporation and individuals leading them uh, in service of of money profit only, I think, in Mm -hmm. the short term, uh, have over us. But here's the truth of the matter. You know, prior to the pandemic, something like 38% of all U.S. households were engaged in gardening. That's about 42 million households. That's a pretty big number. Post-pandemic, we're at 100 million households who self-describe as being engaged in gardening. So, If we all decide that that is not the value we want to hold up in this world and we stop buying what they're selling, we have real economic power in making that decision for ourselves to say, you know what, I'm not going to buy those 18,000 chemicals that are available at Home Depot and Lowe's. I'm not going to buy corn or soy or rice or wheat that has been modified and then not given any proper oversight and is contaminating the genetic of our continent. I am not going to support this kind of land policy and economic regulation or lack of regulation in our world. And if we stand up as a cohort, even even if half of us stand up as a cohort and say, I'm not buying what you're selling, they will change their ways. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad that you brought up the chemicals because I'm one of those people that I won't kill an ant. I will not kill a termite, but I will coax them to move deeper into the forest away from where the human is. But I will I will not use chemicals in this forest whatsoever. Well, God love you. I so appreciate that. And we need to all hold that line because the chemicals are being sold to us again with this like unbelievably 
persistent marketing that, that we need them in order to lead healthy, mm-hmm. better lives. Now, I know I don't want a mosquito-borne you know, disease. I don't want a tick-borne disease, but there are ways to protect ourselves without annihilating our environment. Like you say, to stop making our homes so easily accessible or attractive to the insect world that we need alive and well for our ecosystems to function properly. And we can stop again, like bringing out the big guns for the tiniest of problems because we have been taught that inconvenience is like the most terrible thing that can happen to us. And so go ahead and spray it with Roundup or Scott's fur, you know, whatever the poison is. And the fact is, we can figure out how to deter ants without killing our environment. Mm-hmm. You know how I get rid of the, the mosquitoes? I, I don't kill the spiders. Don't kill the spiders. Don't poison the bats. Yep. Go ahead and plant native organic plants that feed the hummingbirds. Yep. That's how we control mosquitoes. Don't leave standing water. Don't overwater your lawn. Um, there are so many ways. Encourage your frogs and toads and lizards. Um, this this is how mosquitoes are balanced in truth. You were talking about the chemicals a little bit earlier, and one of the things that I instantly went to was organic plants and or organic fruit and veggies and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. I, and I got to tell you that one, one, during the pandemic, I took up a job at, at a grocery store because I just wanted to be with people. I'd never worked a real job like that before in my life. But the one thing that organic plants and, and fruits and vegetables do, it's created a business or a profession on the inside world. People who come to the store, buy it, it rots, they come back, they get double the money back. And, and that's the thing that really drives me crazy about organic. It's not made to last. Don't bring it back. Right. It's that is so true. And again, that comes back to this weird mindset that everything is supposed to be perfect and everything is supposed to be super convenient. And that isn't how the natural world works. And that isn't how our most healthy and nutritious foods work either. They have a limited lifespan. And when they are past that lifespan, go ahead and compost them so that they feed the rest of the world. Don't put chemicals on them to destroy their nutrients and again destroy the ecosystem around them uh, so that they look pretty but they aren't healthier for us and we need to change what we expect out of our food out of our farmers out of ourselves as we try and live in greater harmony because that is going to have the long-term greatest gain and profit for us as humans. The book we're talking about is What We Sow, and there's, there's a deeper purpose to this, to this story uh, inside my heart that you're planting, only because I'm one of those people that I, I take my leaves and I put it in the forest because I believe it feeds the seeds. It keeps them yes. nice and warm during the winter months, and, it, and then it breaks down into the soil and it feeds those seeds so that we can have all of this gorgeous green. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's again, it's this idea of re like, first of all, seeing the current structure of our society for what it is and how it entraps us. And I know I sound like a conspiracy theorist, but <laughs> the, the fact is like, if we see that and then we say, you know what, I don't want to buy that stuff. I want to actually work with the system that was here before me. And we decide that we can actually put in a little effort and have this deeper relationship. And so everything doesn't have to be perfect and or, or quote unquote perfect and or uh, convenient because 
it's a much more gratifying relationship when we do that. And so when we understand that the tree dropping its leaves or the shrub dropping its leaves has done this since it's 365 million years of coevolution on the planet to feed the insects and the mycorrhiza and the soil underneath it so that the tree is then healthy again the next year. It is not a mess, quote, and we're supposed to clean it all up because if we do that, we take food away from the tree, we take food and uh, support and habitat away from all of the ground nesting pollinators and mycorrhiza that then feed the whole system. And so we've been interrupting that system for going on 70 years now, since at least the 1950s, (laughs) because we've been sold this idea of like, tidiness and being meat freaks um and we're just making extra work for ourselves and destroying the systems that feed us at the same time i gotta tell you just the other day a gentleman brought back some some potatoes and and they were starting the the eyes of the potatoes were starting to sprout i looked at that guy and i said you know in in the state of montana when we grew our 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 family uh garden those eyes meant food for tomorrow and that that you should not be saying yuck and oh my god how is that how do you sell this stuff dude that's food that the that's go good put it yeah. in the ground dude <laughs> <laughs> that is regeneration happening right in front of you go use it right you know that's like the no, ends of a, a carrot you know story. the ends of a carrot where yeah. you put it in the water and it gets root put it in the ground right. <laughs> put it in the ground it is the root or better yet if you forgot to to harvest your carrots and you have a big one that's sort of tuberous and fibrous in the ground leave it there and the next year the greens are going to come up and it's going to set flower and seed and then uh, a seed grower for carrots like going forward through all the seasons it's cool the, the book is coming out at such the perfect time. Like I said, I mean, I mean, they're going to have to rebuild uh, Ukraine, and Ukraine is known for all of its uh, how it's fed so many chunks of the world. And and yeah. and so what you're doing is that you're you're kind of opening up our hearts to the the importance of the seed and how that seed really does feed the world. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I think the pandemic it had some weird silver linings mixed in with all of its tragedy, but I really saw this. Moment moment, at least for myself as a gardener, uh, as this opportunity to to see more clearly the systems that I was taking part in and say to myself, do we really, is it the best idea that all of our food is shipped thousands and hundreds of miles? And is it better perhaps that I seek out the farmers who are growing grain in my own area, growing the specific grains that do well in my area, or the other kinds of produce and supporting them so that in the event of a global shutdown like we experienced, Mm -hmm. we have these healthy local economic and food systems that can support us in balance with the global supply, right? Like I'm not gonna grow everything I need right here, but you can certainly grow almost everything you need to survive perfectly well. I just want to be able to grow rhubarb here in the South. I mean, I, I really do because, I mean, I love raw rhubarb. And to me, that right there was the candy of my childhood. 
Oh, you just made my mouth water. Rhubarb <laughs> is so good. And uh, and there are certain places that grow it really well. Thankfully, if you can't grow it really well, there are those wonderful people who grow it and preserve it for the rest of us to make good with. But um, yeah. Oh, I love rhubarb. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so where can people go to find out more about you and give you some love? Well, you can find me at cultivatingplace.com. I have a public radio program and podcast. The program is syndicated across the country, and the the podcast is wherever you find your podcasts. Uh, You can go to my website, cultivatingplace.com, to subscribe to the podcast or look at the books. And if you happen to buy What We Sow or either of my other books anywhere besides my website and you would like a signed book plate to go in your book just drop me an email cultivatingplace at gmail.com and I'd be happy to ship one off to you in an envelope and just engage with you about these these things we really want to grow our world into. Yeah, because when you start taking care of your soil, you've now invested more in your home. Mm-hmm. I realize put up oh, a yes. new wall, put up a room here and there and stuff like that and, and fix things on the inside. No, take care of your soil too because you will have a love for this planet like like nothing else. Like nothing else. I so agree. Amen to that. That's like when these people call up and they go, hey, are you interested in selling your house? Seven million dollars. Okay. Because you have no idea how much I've put into this land. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there is that. Yes. (laughs) You got to come back to this show anytime in the future. The door is always going to be open for you. Oh, thank you so much. It's been such a treat to speak with you. And happy autumn down there in North Carolina. Absolutely. 42 degrees last night. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, enjoy. Well, you be brilliant today, okay? All right. Thank you so much. Appreciate it.